Before you're seated, before you're seated, I just have to ask you this question. I'm going to put something before you this morning. Now, some of you are seated, and that's okay, and you don't have to stand up for this, Bill. But I just want you to think about this with me. How many of you consider yourself to be a good person? Just go ahead and raise your hand. A good person. Even if you're seated, go ahead. It's okay to acknowledge you're a good person. Yes? Okay. Now, now having, having said and having acknowledged that we are all, in essence, good people, yes? If you have never, ever in your whole life, taken something that you should not have taken, go ahead and be seated. Never ever taken a pencil or an eraser or a piece of paper. If you've never taken anything. Okay, now if that question didn't get you, this one will. Okay, okay. If you've never ever, now, now listen carefully. If you've ever done what I'm about to say, you have to stand back up. If you've never ever told a little white lie, go ahead and be seated. Now, now, now I, want, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to realize something with me here, okay? What you're really telling me is that you're all good people, but you're a bunch of lying thieves. Yes. Yes? Isn't it great to be a believer? Amen. Amen. So, so let me ask you one more thing. Now, I don't remember the guy's name, but when I was in college, my freshman year, I had a gentleman who was my English teacher at what was then Alabama Christian College, it's now Faulkner University, but I had a gentleman who was an English teacher and he taught this, this one little session on euphemisms. Now that's a hard word for me to say, do not ask me to spell it. But I remember the conversation he shared with us in class because he was a hardcore stickler about not taking the Lord's name in vain. And he went into this whole discourse about words that were like taking the Lord's name in vain, but you didn't really say the Lord's name like dadgummit. You ever heard that expression? If you're from the South, you definitely have heard that. Okay, because that's one of those things. Now that's a euphemism for something else that I'm really not going to say in public because this is being live streamed all over the world and I don't want my mother to hear me cuss. So how many of you have ever not take in the Lord's name in vain. Go ahead and be seated. Now, I want you to think about this. Not only are we good people who are lying thieves, but we're blasphemers all at the same time. And then, and then there's this little thing. I, mean, I don't understand why Jesus picked on us guys, but he said, anyone who would look upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and I know that none of you men have ever done that. Yes? Now, women, I don't know why he didn't say something about you, because I'm guessing there's something about you when you look at a guy. And in our world today, a woman, which is a little odd, another topic for another day. But when you look at it, have you ever done that? And do we even want to think about premarital sex or sex out of the marriage, which causes one to either be an adulterer or fornicator? So, so here's what I want us to think about just a moment. How good are we really? Not is the correct answer. And then, and then there's this little expression that Jesus made when he was talking to the rich young ruler and he says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. That's the Father. So we all stand in need of a Savior. And we all stand in need of cleansing and healing. We all stand in need of forgiveness. Be seated, please. I use that little illustration 
and I kind of adapted it and borrowed it from an, a YouTube thing that I saw. It's called Living Waters. There's a young man who is an actor, as a childhood actor. He's a young adult now, Kirk Cameron. He does some really cool stuff on street evangelism. And he actually takes that series of questions and he walks up to total strangers and asks them those questions. Now, I don't consider all of you to be total strangers. I consider you to be family. And we're a little safer and I could have fun with that. And I think you got a good laugh out of it. But I want you to really think about this with me. The God that we serve is truly a God who is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He is maintaining love to thousands and he forgives wickedness and sin. He has forgiven us of our sins. But how did we get it? How did we get this forgiveness? And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. Our passage of scripture read this morning from Romans 6. We'll talk about that in just a minute as well. We all who with unveiled faces, we are living this glory of God. We are growing in an ever-increasing way in his glory. At least that should be our goal as a believer. We all had a day one. We all had a birthday. We all had a birthday, not only physically, but when we accepted Christ again, when we went into this watery grave that you and I refer to and call it baptism, when we went into this water, we came up. And when we came up out of that water, guess what we are? We're new. We have a new birthday because we were born again. You heard that expression, born again? We have been born again, and we're born into Christ, born to live for him, to die for him, to give ourselves away for him. So in Romans, I want to look at a couple of things with you in Romans and really talk about this idea of forgiveness and what it calls us to do, how it calls us to live, and most especially how it can help us in our conversations with those who are around us that we've been given responsibility to extend to them this ministry of reconciliation that we've been talking about for several weeks. It's this ministry of bringing people back into a right relationship, into right friendship, and to restore that friendship again with God. Romans 3 says, there's none who are righteous. Quoting from Isaiah, there's none who are righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow, doesn't that make you feel good? And if we stopped right there and all went home, we could just sulk for the rest of the day. If that's all that there was. But the beauty of it is, there's way more than this. There's a whole other side to the story. Yes, that's who we are. But look, righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a given. And all are justified freely by His grace, the grace of God given through Christ, through faith in Him, through redemption that came by Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. That atonement, that's one of those fancy church kind of words like retaliation or you know, you know those ancient words. Atonement is one of those things where somebody pays for you. But you see, the price had to be paid. All of us, all of us need something or someone to pay for our sins. Because we're not capable of taking care of it ourselves. Because the only way to do it is to live perfectly. And none of us had the capacity to do that. We just experienced that by recognizing that we're all good people who are a bunch of lying thieves. 
God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It comes through Jesus. Forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Guys, it's this faith that gives us access. Here's a good question for you. We all just stood, we all acknowledged, yep, we've taken things, and you know what? I didn't ask if you did yesterday. I didn't ask if you said something inappropriate yesterday. But if we were to do that whole exercise again and I ask, if you've done it in the last week or two weeks or two months, some of us would have been standing. Even when I said, have you taken the Lord's name in vain? The reality is, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even though we went into this watery grave that we call baptism, and when we came up out of that, we were given a new life, and we have a new birthday, and we're new in Christ, it doesn't mean, and it didn't mean, that everything that we ever had a problem with and that was a potential sin problem for us stopped when we came out of the water. Because the reality is, we're still people. And we keep doing things that technically are sinful. So where does it leave us? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us since we've now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It is this cleansing that comes in this washing away of our sins in this little watery grave. It's this cleansing that comes from the blood of Christ that allows us to come before God. It's not what you do. It's not even what you don't do. Because the reality is there's not a single person among us who has the capacity in life to live perfectly, even though we've been baptized. Even though. The difference between those who have accepted Christ and have placed their faith in Him and who have surrendered their life in a watery grave, the difference between them and those who have not is simply that the blood of Jesus is now cleansing us of all of our sins. Because accepting Christ and being baptized did not give you the ability to live perfectly. It only gave you the ability to stand perfect before God because of your faith in Christ and the blood that He shed on the cross. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, this is what Chuck shared for us a few moments ago. What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. It would be silly to think that just because you've become a Christian, just because you've been baptized, just because the blood of Christ cleanses you and it continues to cleanse you, that you can just live however you want to live. That's not what we're called to do. Having been baptized, having accepted Christ doesn't give you license to live any way that you want to live. It doesn't mean you can take anything, do anything, say anything, go anywhere, do whatever you want to do. When you and I accept Christ, when we come into this new life, guess what we did? We died. We died to us. And we now live for Him. You see, your life is not your own anymore. Now, we think that it is. I mean, let's just be honest, guys. We think that our life is still our own because we still have to get up. We have to feed ourselves. 
We may not cook our own breakfast, but we're going to eat our own breakfast because there are very few of us in the room except for, for uh, the little one here and a couple of others who are not going to feed themselves. You still feed yourself, right? Your mother doesn't have to feed you anymore, yes? You know how to use a fork? You don't know what a fork is. It only happens with teenagers. They really don't know what a fork is. Give him a tortilla shell. He can figure it out with tortilla shells, yes? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? And this is what I want you to think about with me for a few minutes. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? I know that there are things that you're going to do that you don't want to do. Paul says that. Well, look at that verse of Scripture in a minute. There are things that you really don't want to do. But guess what? You're going to do them because you and I are weak in the flesh. And the things that we really don't want to do, that's what we end up doing because we're weak. But God forgives us because of Jesus. We are buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, what kind of life are you going to live? I can tell you with absolute certainty, it's a forgiven life. You're forgiven. But what kind of life are you really living? I don't understand what I do, Paul says in Romans 7. I don't get it. Paul is just being as transparent, as honest as he could possibly be when he writes this verse of Scripture. I don't know what I'm going to do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, that's the very thing that I end up doing. And if I don't want to do it, what I don't want to do, the law isn't any good. As it is, it's no longer I myself would do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Welcome to my world. And every single one of us have the same problem. You don't have to raise your hands. I'll raise them for us all. How many of us have ever had a problem, a sin condition, and we go to God and say, Dear Lord, help me stop. Dear Lord, keep me from. Dear Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. And sure as you say those words, in a day or two or a week or two or a month or two, you go off and you do the very same thing that you ask God to help you with. Anybody else like me? What's wrong with you? The same thing that's wrong with me. I'm human. And as much as I try sometimes, I'm no different than Paul. Because the things that I don't want to do, that's the very thing that I end up doing. And the things that I want, don't want to do, man, it's a mess. And all I can do is say, God, save me. And thank you for forgiving me through the blood of Jesus. Because if it were up to me, if it were truly up to me to be able to get to heaven, I would bust hell wide open. Because there's not enough good in me to get me into heaven. Even though I've been baptized, even though my sins are forgiven, even though God has given me a new life, there's not enough good in me to get me to live good enough to get into heaven on my own. I can't do it. So what are we supposed to do? Paul says it this way, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God, it is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will rescue us 
from this state and condition that we all live in. But what does that do for us in our life? Paul writes to the church in Corinth. I planted seed, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. It's only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to what they've done. For all co-workers in God's service, you're God's field, you're God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. Each one of us should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ. There's not another church. There's not another faith. There's not another belief system. There's not another way to heaven. The only way is through Jesus. It's the only foundation that can be laid that's worthy of building upon. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold and silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Guys, you and I live in a crazy world. And there are all kinds of things that try to steal our attention from serving God. And sometimes the world wins. And sometimes we fall prey to the things that pull us away from God. And the things that are tempting to us. The things that cause us to look away from God get our attention and cause us to do things that we shouldn't do. But at the end of it all, when God looks at us, He's going to see us for the life that we've lived. And for some, for some in the church, truly they built amazing things in the kingdom of God. And they've led countless people to Christ. They've lived an amazing testimony and witness all of their lives as to what God has done for them. And then there are others Or like Jesus spoke of, but we mentioned last week and the week before, that are the bruised reed. And they always seem to be on the verge of breaking. And they can't ever really quite make it. And they keep doing things that seem to be off the charts. And God still loves them. And His forgiveness is still there for them. Because their faith is still in Christ. And their sins are still forgiven. So how do we live? The acts, the way of life, the things that we do, the things we've been told to do are not sufficient or required of us to maintain this relationship of forgiveness. They're not enough. It only comes through Jesus. The result of the transforming power of the Spirit. So you can't do enough things that are right. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Even though you've been baptized, you can't be good enough to get there on your own. You can't keep all of the regulations. There's no way. We don't have that many commands, but you and I are not capable of keeping them all because we're human. You do not keep or re-up or make sure you don't lose your salvation by doing anything because it comes through faith in Christ. And doing more and more has nothing to do with how 
by whom you're saved. You and I stay in the right relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us. What you and I should become is a believer so moved and compelled by the presence of God and His Spirit within us that we cannot help but do these things in the name of Christ. And that's really where I want you to think. And that's how I really would encourage you to live. Have you ever been really hungry? I mean really hungry, like right now? Yeah. You're ready for the sermon to be over so you can go eat lunch, right? Have you ever been really, really hungry? Like two or three or four days, nothing to eat. Maybe on purpose, maybe because of an illness, I don't know, but you've been really, really hungry. And there's one thing on your mind, and that's finding something to eat. Or maybe you've been really thirsty. Or maybe, maybe there's a loved one that you haven't seen in weeks or months or years. to see them in a few days or a few weeks and it's all you can think about is being with them well I want you to know that there's a way that God has called us to live that we can't help but do the things that God wants us to do how compelling is that for you and your life how important is it for you, living the life that God has called you to live, to do the things that honors God? And not because you have to do them, because you think that's what you have to do to stay saved. But you can't help but do them, because it is what you have to do. You and I are not our own. We've been bought with a price. The reality is, when you accepted Christ, when you went into this watery grave, you were supposed to have died to you. And now it's not living for you. It's living for Christ. It's living for what He wants you to do. So let's talk about that just a minute. How does that fit in with your world of work? I'm not saying you have the right job. I'm not saying you have the wrong job. I just want to ask you a question. How does it fit in with your world of work? Where is God? Where is Christ? in your occupation or your vocation? How does it fit in with your world of hobbies? How does it fit in with your world of recreation? Wherever it is that you recreate yourself and however often that you do that, where does God fit in to the things that you do for fun? Is He anywhere in the conversation? When you and I go into restaurants, when we go into stores, when we go anywhere that we go, when we just go across the street to speak to our neighbor, is God in the conversation with us? And is He first and foremost in our heart? Is He first and foremost in our minds? I can talk about guys because I'm one. And I know somewhat about guy conversation. There are a couple of things that men will always talk about, almost always. If you meet a stranger guy, and I'm a guy, and I'm going to talk to him, there are two or three things we're going to talk about. Number one, I'm going to ask the question, what do you do? And that's all about work. I'm not talking about what you do for fun. That's another question later. I just want to know where you work. That's just what we talk about. Have you ever noticed that when you meet someone and it's a very casual acquaintance, very casual conversation, you seem to always want to talk about the weather? Especially most recently because it's been raining a lot. And we're like, hey, how you like the rain? How you enjoying the rain? It's nice rain, yes? There are things that we talk about 
with one another. Ladies, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a lady. I've listened to my wife talk with ladies, and I don't get all that sometimes, and that's okay. I don't have to, because I'm not one. You know what you talk about. You know the things that are important to you. You know what you ask about. I think one of them is kids. How are the kids? Maybe not. Just guessing, but I'm thinking that's one of those conversation points for women. How are the children? How's the family? Because that's important to you. So where is God in any and all of that? And I know he can be there. I just wonder how close to the front of the conversation he ever gets. You died. Now faith is the important thing. It's not the works. It's not even your wickedness. It's not your rebellion. It's not your sin. It's all about dying to yourself and living for Christ. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So my question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? We're going to sing the song Amazing Grace. And I ask you to lead the song on purpose. Because this song truly, at the heart of it, has an essence of what this sermon is really all about. Because we are saved by by the grace of God. Through faith in Christ. Yes, we've been baptized. But without that faith, we would have never come to the water. What's the point? Without faith in Christ, our salvation isn't anymore. So, how are you living today? How are you living your life now? And where is God in the conversation? Because you see, you can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven even after your baptism. You can't be good enough to get there because all of us have already stood and we've all acknowledged to one another, we are what we are. It is only because of God's graciousness through Jesus that we can continue to come to God in confidence and assurance that our faith is going to save us and give us that home in heaven. My question for you is, do you have that assurance? There may be some of you sitting in this room today who have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never died. And I know that's not an easy thing to think about, but the fact is, that's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to die to ourselves and to live for him. Some of you in this room, you were baptized 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. But it's easy if we're not careful to allow the world to come in and to take over and to distract us from the things that are the most important. And the most important is to continue to die to yourself and to live for Christ. So as we sing the song Amazing Grace, I invite you to consider your walk with Christ, your walk with God, and to make it the most important thing in your life and share that with those that you meet this week. Let's stand and sing and encourage one another. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I